and welcome to another episode of the K&G podcast. I'm your host, Kyla. I'm going to be hosting alone today. And I have my guest, Scott, who happens to be my older brother. Hi, Scott. Hey. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Good. Thanks for joining me on my little podcast I'm trying to start here. So excited. I love podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I think you might have been the person that got me into podcasts, actually. Mm-hmm. Probably. I've been listening to them for like, whew, probably 10 years now. Wow. So who was your first podcast? Do you remember? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> uh, CBC Radio Quirks and Quarks. Oh, Quirks and Quarks. I remember that show. Yeah. Quirks and Quirks, As It Happens. Mm -hmm. uh, Like, yeah, the daily CBC News. Those are the ones I listen to. So like all the superstars of Saskatchewan? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All the superstars of radio. (laughs) It's actually funny when you meet people that know, because you mention them and they're like, yeah, they know who they are. And you can tell they're a CBC listener because you say a name. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But if they don't listen to CBC, they, they, like nobody knows about it. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the Rough Riders here. Like Rough Riders are so popular. Well, also in Vancouver because Saskatchewan's Saskatchewanians move over there too. Um, but they're super popular here. But like nobody else knows about them. <laughs> like, if you're not from here. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, today we decided we're going to talk about um, climate change depression, basically. And we've talked a, a bit about this over the years. And um, just lately, you were telling me that you were having a, a discussion with a friend about it and how people don't generally talk to each other about it, but a lot of people probably feel the huge weight of like not knowing what the world is going to be like for like in the next 20 years and the next 50 years, like the future generations. So how has that affected you? Um, like thinking about the future. Yeah. So <clears throat> you sent this article from BBC uh, and they were talking about it. And, it's, and the one line in there that really kind of sticks out and I've felt this for a long time, but it was good that they put words around it. As they say, climate anxiety, like climate depression or climate rage, isn't a pathology. It's a reasonable and healthy response to an existential threat. Yes. It's funny. I wrote down that same quote. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, this is the thing that it's like. It's like there is a, a large meteor asteroid coming towards Earth. You know about it. And everybody's like, yeah, it's not there. It's not there. And you're like, no, it's there. Like, ah, well, what can we do about it anyway? Don't worry about it. You're like, everyone's going to die. The sky is falling. Like, ah, stop saying the sky is falling. So, and then you're like, am I crazy or is everybody crazy? Right. Or is like everyone just in denial because they don't want to deal with it because it's too scary. So... And I, I do think that's probably 
what it is, is it's so overwhelming that people just don't want to talk about it because it's, they don't know what to do with it. But you were telling me something that you did to help you kind of get through some stages of the grief. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. Okay. So we go back to the history on this is, I think it was 1991. I watched Fern Gully. And mm-hmm. when I watched that show, I was like, oh my goodness, everyone's going to watch this and wake up and totally change their lives. And we're all going to recognize the importance of nature and ecosystems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 91. That was, that was my naive self. And, and just before then, I mean, I was a big, um, as a young kid, I was a big Brian Mulrooney kind of supporter mm-hmm. and his um his minister of the environment had an interview and, and they actually have like like a youtube you can actually find it he said the number one thing that we have to worry about is climate change it was global wow. that they called it 1988 wow what did they call it sorry because i um kind of cut you off i think oh they called it global warming okay right so okay. that was the number one issue in canada with a conservative government. Wow. And they wanted to make change. They wanted to do things about that. Was that around the same year that that girl, I, I just remember when we lived um, on Delay and Crescent and there was a girl that was going around and collecting um, bottles, like plastic and glass bottles and recycling them. And it was like this huge deal. And she got like some award for it. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. No. And that, that might've been around the same time. Cause I think they were really trying to push like recycling. Cause I don't know if it was a big thing back then. Yeah, it, it actually might've been then. So it, it was interesting. So I remember then that, that really started it. I'm like, okay, I'm interested in, I'm interested in science I want to become an engineer. I became an engineer. And then in 2006, there was an election, a federal election. And I looked around and I said, okay, I got to really research. Like voting is really important. I got to research all the parties. And I went through all the party platforms and none of them had any sort of policy based on science. Mm. So I was like, well, what's going on here? And then I came upon the Green Party and they were basing their policy on science. And I'm like, well, I have to go with them. They're the only ones that have any sort of logic on on Mm -hmm. what's going on. And again, I I mean, I think I was a little naive. I showed up, I volunteered, and then I ended up running for like for the Green Party as an MP. Uh, Right. I remember when you did that. Yeah. And I thought there was going to be, I thought, okay, this is the beginning of a big shift. And I think we were getting there. So in 80, 1988, there was like a big focus on it. And then it kind of dropped off. In 2008, 2009, there was a big focus on it. And then for some reason, it dropped off. I think, well, I think there was the um, the global financial crisis in 2008. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, oh, well, we can't worry about... Um... <laughs> I mean, so that was that was an interesting point for me because... I was actually working at BC Hydro trying to get people to be more energy efficient, trying to, and so I, was, I think, okay, I'm doing good in my job. Right. 
people are getting it. People in the organization were getting it, the importance of climate change. And then the global financial crisis happened. It was like everything else was off the table. And we had just gone through a course called The Simple Path. And they just said, okay, it, it doesn't work like this, where you have an economy. And then if you have a good economy, then you have a good society. And if you have a good society and a good economy, then you have room to save the environment. So mm. the way it works is, first of all, you'll have a really good, vibrant environment with good, stable ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have this little town or society that you build around having fresh water and clean air and, and the food to eat. So you have those resources. Then if you have that stable society and stable environment, then you can have an economy off of it. Right. But I saw that totally flipped on its head there during the financial crisis. They're like, well, we don't have time for them. I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, that is the reason why you don't go in the middle of the Sahara Desert and see a big city sitting there because there's no water and there's no resources and there's no ecosystem that supports human life. Right. I didn't think about that. So basically like creating a artificial environment, which isn't sustainable. And, and our priorities are flipped to say money is a scarce resource. We have to protect the money. And trees doesn't matter. There's, I mean, money Mm -hmm. doesn't grow on trees is the same. (laughs) Right. You're like, well, no, literally it does. It literally does. You make money by cutting down trees and turning it into paper and putting it into money. (laughs) Right. It literally is money. So, so anyway, so going through that and seeing that and seeing the failure there and then seeing there's a bunch of political things that happened in British Columbia about that. Um, at, that was very disappointing and basically illogic and politics ruling over logic and science mm-hmm. and the site C dam, the site C dam is another thing that's being built and has no business case whatsoever, but it was pushed through and it's going to lose more than $12 billion and nobody really talks about it. Mm-hmm. So, I started seeing this and reading it and seeing it and getting really depressed and saying, well, you know, we're doing all this work. I'm working with the Green Party. I'm volunteering. We're talking to people, but nobody cares and nobody's listening. Right. So, and I have two young daughters. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so we are going to ruin this planet. It is, it's, it's baked in if we continue on the trajectory that we're on. And my grandchildren, my hopeful grandchildren and their great grandchildren, seven generations down the road, will say, what have you, what have my ancestors done to this planet? Mm-hmm. Basically ruined it for me. And, and I'm like, well, well, what can we do? Like, what is, what is, I, there's really kind of nothing too strong. There's no, no such thing as too strong or, um, too much action you can do to fight to save the earth, which is the only thing that we know that sustains life in, in the universe. Exactly. Cause right. Mars is not really a viable option. Like I know that's like what people are thinking, but why are we not just trying to reverse what's happening here? Or like save what we have. Exactly. And and one thing that we don't really think about is how much we are connected to the earth. Our microbiome mm-hmm. 
all the bacteria mm. on us. If we go to Mars, if humans, Homo sapiens go to Mars and set up a con- colony and live there, in in a few decades or or maybe a hundred years, they are no longer Homo sapiens. They will be Martians. Right. Their whole physiology is going to change and adapt so that they can live in that environment and they're going to create a new environment, but they will no longer be earthlings. Right. Right. So, I mean, anyway, so, so that's the whole thing. But so then I started thinking, and I was getting really depressed. I'm like, why, like, what's the point? What's the point of anything? Like Mm -hmm. maybe the best thing we can do is just all off ourselves. Right. right. And they talk about that in the article too, about people feeling like that. Like maybe I should get ready to off my kids or off myself because you want to protect everyone from the horror that's to come. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. And it, yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. Well, it, you're just like, okay, so what can be done if you want to take action? Right. So the philosophy that I went through, it's it's more like a stoic philosophy and it's negative visualization. So going through and, and imagining the worst case scenario. Okay. And what I do is go through, what I went through is actually went through and said, okay, so life on earth will end. So that might be 50 million years from now, 100 million years. But the, the sun will expand and it will heat the earth so much so that there that basically water won't be able to stay solid on the earth. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, life will end. That's a certainty, and that's like it's a really long way away. But it's a certainty. Right. So we know that life on earth is going to end. And then if you back that up, you're like at some point. Um, even before then, some ecosystems will collapse and, and then like, even before it's all steam on earth, it's not, it's like steamboat earth. It'll just be, uh, too hot or too changed that there won't be, there'll only be very small places to live and there won't be enough resources. And so, okay. So, so you look at those things and you're like, okay, now feel that and mourn that. And mourn the death of all life on earth. That is a story. Mm. We can't change it. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. We're not changing how the sun does their its nuclear reaction. Yeah. So, so that's not going to change. It is fated. It's written. Okay. So now that I've mourned the death of all life on earth, now I can say, okay, so now in the time remaining, let's try to extend that life on earth as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So all I'm doing now is I know that the inevitable is there and I don't have to continually mourn it. You can mourn it once. That's so good, Scott. Cause I think, I think that is, it's exactly what you said. If it feels like you're almost like trying not to think about it yeah. or not deal with it, you continually mourn it because it's going to come up in our news is going to come up in conversations, going to come up just by what you see happening in the environment. So I think that is really good. That's really good advice for people. If you're like, if it feels too overwhelming, just like go to those places and 
grieve it. Right. And then like, because then like what you can do is say, okay, all I can do is what I can do right now. And you're letting go of the control of everything else too. Right. And then, so does that, does that also give you hope? for things to turn around a little bit or for us to have, you know, more people on board to help extend the life of this world. So again, all that does, all that does is, is calm my own mind so that then I can take action without consistently mourning and worrying for the future. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't really give you hope. Well, no, no, it se- it sets you up so that um, hope is irrelevant. Oh, okay, right. You don't have to like live on hope anymore because now you've grieved. Yeah, I don't require hope. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's the biggest difference for me is I don't require hope anymore, and that was that was the problem that I had because I, I felt like it was hopeless. And now, right. saying, well, it, it's irrelevant. It, it, you know, it. The, hope is not a thing there because you're just saying, okay, I know that eventually everything will die. Okay, so that's fine on Earth. So on, in now, my focus is in the next seven generations. I'm like, yeah. So what can we impact for the next like 200 years? Yeah, and like. Um, for me, that kind of gives me a feeling of hope because then I can think, okay, what can we learn and impart on our children and our grandchildren if we have them? Um, and further on, like, what can we impart that as, as we teach them those, that knowledge and what they're doing in the world can like keep expanding and then more people and more people because I the good thing is what I do see is there's some companies really changing um, their imprint uh, or footprint I guess and trying to change like say like packaging and getting away from plastics and trying to make those changes that they're not producing more um, pollution because the problem with any kind of plastic, even if you can recycle it, it's still there and it can still not be recycled for one and go into the environment and never like break down and then be in the oceans or whatever. So, um, getting away from that altogether is kind of what I've been focusing on like in my business trying to get away from plastics as much as possible reusing things using alternative things like bamboo renewable resources things that you can compost um so that kind of gives me a little bit of hope but sometimes it does feel like like you were saying too that you have you know all these things and you're trying to do it but it's hard to see a lot of other people doing it around you yeah yeah and that's okay so that's another good thing is that i mean you you kind of raise a good point is that you're like oh i recycle 
But if if we don't have everybody recycling, then then again, what's the point? In fact, better if we don't have every packet, everybody who's making packaging just make it completely compostable and not with yes. plastic. Well, then you don't even yes. have to. You just put it in a compost bin. Exactly. Like stop at the production. So that's the kind of thing, though. It's all systemic. So I was having a, uh, a discussion online today about about that, saying that because they're they're all like they're having discussion. These these are a bunch of climate activists, and they're saying, well, the number one thing that you can do to reduce your impact on the earth is have less kids. Mm. And again, that's a very unhopeful thing. You're like. <laughs> Okay, the only thing that we can do to protect humanity is have less humanity. <laughs> right. And what's what's the theory behind that is just less people, less waste, less use of fossil fuels. Yep. Yeah, less people, less and and what they failed to recognize there is that okay, no, there is a bigger thing. Ban all fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, we can't do that. Like, it'll be. And I'm like, yeah, we can. We can just set a date. And the date that I kind of threw out there is like 2040. Okay. By 2040, no fossil fuels. And people are like, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, we have 20 years to figure it out. <laughs> right. We're the smartest animal on the planet of Earth. <laughs> yeah. And we have all this science. In fact, Guess what? We've already figured it out. We have all the mechanisms there. So what will happen is if you did that, all of a sudden governments will say, well, we're not going to subsidize fossil fuels anymore because we know they're ending in 2040. Why? We're not going to go and build infrastructure to support them because it's going to end in 2040. Yes. So, so you need to make the decision to say, hey, I'm making a change. And yes, it's going to be a transition, but there's there's nobody, there's nobody leading. And and the and if the crazy thing is the country that does this and leads will develop the technologies that will be used in the future and they'll benefit. Exactly. Because there's still there's still money to be made out of anything that you do. And you can still employ people in whatever you do. And actually, you might employ more because if you're doing things that are more organic and you can't be using like, you also don't want to be like using machinery for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You can have people like doing more hands-on work and people connecting with the earth again, I think is so much more beneficial. Like we've been talking, you and I have been talking about that over this pandemic, how we've really been given this gift of time. Yeah. And because of it, we've realized like how much busy work fills up our lives and um, just, it's okay to not always be working, working, working. And especially working in places that you like say you're stuck in a cubicle with no window or like, you're in a building and you don't even see outside. And then you have some places with daylight savings that you don't see the sun at all. Yeah. 
Well, so like humans aren't meant to live like that. We've defined work as going to a place where you spend a lot of time and if it's really tough and you don't enjoy it and they're like, wow, that's a hard worker. And then if you find mm-hmm. someone that's like, oh, they come back and they're happy and jolly, you're like, oh, oh, they're barely working. They they don't look like they're having a hard time. And you're like, why is having a hard time a positive thing? Right. Why is that so valued? And yeah. it, it's interesting because we've also talked about um, this has cut off a lot of commuting. This has cut off most people that travel for business on planes all the time, which I think is actually ridiculous. Um, Cause mostly those kind of people could do a lot of their stuff, video conferencing or, you know, they don't need to be there, but it's part of the experience or the work or it's, it's all the showmanship, whatever, yada, yada. Um, it's such a waste and it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And it's a waste of fossil fuels. And we a lot of that got shut down. And even they were seeing, um, you know, this year they were seeing like effects of that really quickly in some places where like uh, waterways were kind of clearing up or yeah, smog was clearing up, right? <laughs> like that only took a few weeks or maybe a few months. I don't know if like the smog one, but. It's like, okay, can we learn from this then? Like, can we continue? This has been a big reset. Can we continue with that? Or is it going to be like you said before? Well, we don't have time for that because we have to like focus on this other stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'm more and more I'm hearing people saying, you know, they're, they're, they're admitting, they're saying, yeah, you know, business travel is done. Why would we do it? We don't need to do it. We don't need to do conferences. We're away from good, but they're like, oh, but you know, our vacations, you know, travel for vacation, that's going to still come back. We need that. And I'm like, it's just because you and I talked about this, but Mm -hmm. we didn't like, we went on vacations when we were young, but we drove and we went on one flight to Disneyland and I did kind of a straw poll of all the, the guys around like the, the 40 and 50 year old guys now they're all like, oh, yeah, well, we we only went on, like, one flight before we were 20. And now right. we're on, like, I don't know, every other week for business. And then at least once a year, at least, maybe twice a year for, for trips and vacations. And that's what we're all dreaming about the next time we can get away from the place that we're in. You yes. Know? And now we're all forced to stay home and say, wow, like – like I found this, I, I mean, a few years ago I found it, but I'm taking people to this beach, Barnett Beach in Burnaby. And it's beautiful. It faces this, uh, like this rock on the other side that's just like wilderness. You're on the beach, yeah. you're on the edge of the city. We go, and we jump in the water, we do the breathing and all that. And most of these guys have lived there f- like for 20 years, 30 years. And they've never been to that beach. And now they're all like, this is so beautiful. How come we didn't know about this? <laughs> and yeah. okay, so I'm going to just explain to people because you're talking about the breathing. So you do the Wim Hof method. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that right? Yes. 
And so that's like some breathing from what I can tell. I mean, I watched the documentary and you've told me about it, but it's like this um, type of breathing that you do and then um, get to your body to this certain stage. And then you do push-ups, and it changes your temperature, I think. Changes your physiology and then you go into like cold water and then that kind of helps change it again. So there's like health benefits that you're trying to do mm-hmm. with this Wim Hof method, which is actually really interesting. It's a great guy to like watch his documentary. Um, anyway, so you're doing that for health benefits. So you wasn't even that you were like uh, trying to get these guys out there to see that, but that was the end result of it. And because you ended, you were going there every morning early. There was no one there because also no one was allowed to go to beaches or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and not so you were, nobody, <laughs> even when before the pandemic, nobody goes there at 7 a.m. Oh, okay. That's part of it. Okay. So you're just there so early. And then you're bringing these guys there for that. And then they look, it's like the first time they like look up and look around. And you guys live in a very like beautiful area of Canada that I think everyone over here in Saskatchewan were like, if you're there, you're always in the mountains and the rivers and the ocean or whatever. And for, I think you're, you're, you are, cause you've always thought that out. Mm-hmm. But I, I know there's a lot of people there that have never really done that or don't do it often. Well, this is the, this is the thing about all the places that we live in. And I guess indigenous people all recognize that there's beauty in every place. Like yeah. in Saskatchewan, when, when we came back in September, like the sky in Saskatchewan is amazing. And I went out to the river and I did the Wim Hof and jumped in the, in the river there. But I was like, oh, connecting back with that area. And that's where I grew up. And it was interesting because mm-hmm. I was like, I feel so much more of a connection and a nostalgia for the river and, and the land than I do going around the city. Like, I'm kind of like, I mean, the university was nice. It's good to go there. But right. the land, you're kind of like, oh, this is where I'm from and I can feel yeah. it. But I feel like, I mean, because if we all go to <laughs> – Actually, it's a funny story. So uh, speaking of trips overseas with flights and everything, I'm I'm part of this whole system. But uh, we were over in uh, Hawaii in uh, the big island. um, And and we went to this, the timeshare thing, because we needed a rental car. So they were going to give us a free rental car if you sat through the timeshare. So we sat through it. and And the lady was kind of annoyed with us. She's like, you know, some people come here and they just try to waste my time to get the free things. And we're kind of like, yeah. And and we're like, is that a bad thing? I, I mean, but she's like, so what kind of vacation do you want? You like, do you like big cities? Do you like fancy hotels? Do you like ski trips? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of like going to on a cabin on a lake and canoeing. And she was like, look at me like, uh, and I'm like, do you have anything like that in, in the time? She's like, like, no. Why would you want to? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, wouldn't you want to go to a big fancy city? I'm like, no, I don't really want to go to a big fancy city. Anyway, it was interesting because um, 
again, it shows me that the, I, I mean, it's the old adage, the best things in life are free are the things like you can just walk out in nature, but that it's not promoted because people can't make money off of it. Mm-hmm. They don't promote backcountry camping um, because you can't make money of it. You can't sell it. You can't be like, whoa, look at this cool thing or just, or just walking by your local anything, water, river, whatever, right? Right. Like even I live right by a swale and it's protected land. Um, nothing can be built on it. You can't wreck the grass, natural grasses and flowers and trees that live there and the wildlife. And I find it absolutely beautiful. That's one of the reasons I liked this area that we moved to because it's just a few steps away and then we feel like we're in the prairies and we see the best sunsets. Like you said, like the sky is so beautiful. And that is basically, especially during COVID, that's been our little oasis that we just go and we walk the paths around there or go biking when it was warm. And now we just walk the paths there still in the winter. And do they and have like, cross country ski trails too? You know what? I haven't checked that out there but i wouldn't i wouldn't be shocked if they didn't if they how do i say that i bet you they do (laughs) because they do have trails through it like walking trails so um i bet you they do i should look i i haven't looked because um my family's not into that at all Mm -hmm. but yeah but they, I've definitely seen lots of people people skiing around where, like, the dog park is and stuff like that. Because that's one of the things I remember growing up. Like, we used to go cross-country skiing as a family. And I remember mm-hmm. it being, like, minus 30 and we're cold. And then we get out there and you start cross-country skiing. And then you're, like, overheating. Like, you're, like, whoa. Yes. Yeah, and that was like a really nice activity we would do with mom a lot. Like I know dad would do it too, but I I remember going with mom probably the most. Mm-hmm. Did you do that like with mom? I think we did it with the whole family. Like I remember okay. with the whole family. And then I and then the other fun winter activity was um hay rides to go out and like cut Christmas trees or something like that. Yeah, I remember doing that. And we'd like have a fire, yeah. sit around the fire. We'd have hot chocolate, make s'mores. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those were actually really good memories. And I think it was cool because our mom, she was so good at that kind of stuff. Because they, I think growing up, like, I don't think, like, I think they had to watch their money. Mm-hmm. And so mom did a lot of, we did a lot of, free stuff like that like wilderness stuff going out cross-country skiing camping uh, going to playgrounds and stuff like that canoeing canoeing exactly i mean that's the thing it's it's funny because those are i mean those create really good memories and then i I mean i I can't diss travel too much I, i do kind of like it but now I mean, honestly, for me, it's just a logistical nightmare because 
it's like, oh, you got to plan where you're going, where you're staying, how you transport mm-hmm. yourself, how do you deal in the foreign currency, how do you stay safe, how do you keep the two girls safe, and like, wh- and you're just like, well, what? Why do you do all that when you can just go? I mean, again, you have to think about kind of the same things when camping, but it's all very contained. Like I don't, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I'm maybe I'm less afraid of bears than I am of like <laughs> I don't know pickpockets. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true because also you guys have traveled um, a lot. Like you've traveled to many different countries, and your wife is from India, so you guys have been there. Like you've been to like Australia too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, you guys have been to a lot of different places that it would require a lot of planning. It's not just like going on a all-inclusive because those are usually simple. Like you're all-inclusive, you get on the plane, they take you to the place you're done. Yeah, yeah. Don't even get started. the other ones, (laughs) don't get you started on those. Oh no. I just, I know. I just think it's funny. Like if you, if you thought of, okay, the, the Wright brothers, right? They, they invented flight. And they're like, wow, this is an amazing thing. Humans can fly. We don't have to take, you know, big steamships across the ocean. When people traveled across the ocean, they traveled once in their, like, they're like, go from Europe to USA and then they stay there for their entire lives or they go the reverse way. Or maybe they travel a few times and it's like, like a week long. And now they're like, oh, we're changing the world. We can communicate travel back and forth it's going to be so amazing we're going to do all these things and then if you said yeah and a whole bunch of people will go on a plane go to a beach and then sit on the beach and drink beer and eat food the whole time and then go home they're like what like why don't they just do that at home they're like because it's warm and there's a beach there they're like, well, don't they have beaches there? Well, yeah, they do have a beach, but it's not as warm, and and the beer's not as cheap. But how much did they spend on the plane flight? They like or on the hotel, and you're like, yeah, I mean, so it doesn't really make any sense, right? But we all do it because we're. Be, I I I really think a lot of people do it because everybody else is doing it because they're saying, oh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's warm, but I don't know, put on a sweater, sit by a fire. <laughs> you know (laughs) like okay i have to just say something though so i went on my first all-inclusive in 2019 and it was like for my pre-40th birthday which is funny that i went then because 2020 i actually turned 40 and we were in a pandemic so anyhow so I had like foresight somehow, um, but I was going for another friend's birthday, actually. Anyhow, I loved it because for me, it was like I got, I went to this beautiful tropical place. Mm-hmm. It's like pools all around. There's food provided all the time. It was like totally rejuvenating for me because I didn't have to plan anything. And you just walk around in your like bathing suit and your little dress the whole time. And you got to like see all these different things. And we went and toured around and we got to do like all this. Oh, what is it? Like through the, we did this eco tour one that you go through the trees and then Mm -hmm. you do zip lining. And 
So I get why people want to do that. Like, I'm not the type that I didn't go there to just sit on the beach and drink. Like, we had a lot of experiences there. And also, just being taken care of like that was so nice. Mm-hmm. But I also get what you're saying that, okay, I that's my first one. And I was 40 or almost 40. And there's other people that go every single year, if not twice a year. So, I mean, one thing to be clear on this, just because it's illogical and weird and like the Wright brothers would say, what a waste. I don't want to shame anybody because I'm part of like, I, I, I've done it and, and we've traveled way more than our fair share in our lives. I'm just saying this is the crazy thing. It's it's illogical. We do it anyway, and it's part of the system. Because, I mean, a good case in point, you only did it when, like, you're pre-40, like 39. Mm-hmm. You've never done it. But when we grew up, <clears throat> that kind of trip wasn't even an option on the menu. Right. And we didn't At all. know about it, and we didn't miss it. Right. And and what we did, like, we would go and in Saskatoon, rent a room in the Sheraton and go there and get pizza and then go down and we'd all go on the water slides as a family and then go back up to the room and hang out and watch a movie. And that was our, va- our vacation was like a 10 minute drive from our house to stay in a hotel. <laughs> right. A staycation. I remember those. Yeah. And we were like. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing, and it was so much fun, and we loved it, and we got to walk around in our shorts because <laughs> we could walk from the hotel room down to this pool. Right. Well, yeah, and that's actually the same experience in a way. We've, we've done that actually quite a few times to West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. Especially when I was a single mom, what I did was take Declan to West Ed because we could drive there, and... You could get a deal if you went in the middle of winter <laughs> during the week, Monday to, to Thursday. So we'd take time off. We'd go up there, stay in the mall in the Fantasyland Hotel and have a theme room. So your theme room's really fun. And then you walk around in sandals the like the entire week that you're there, four days, whatever. And you go to their pool and you go to their rides and have all that fun time. So I get you can like do the experience like closer to you. And even like you said, just even going to a hotel for kids, that's super exciting for adults. It's super exciting to have a staycation. It it is. So I guess my main point on it is I I think like we, we think we don't, we're not able to imagine a world subtracting things. But it would be pretty easy to subtract international. Like when they say, oh, are you traveling for business or pleasure? They'd be like, oh, you're not allowed to travel for pleasure now. Until we figure out a way to reduce global or global warming or climate change and, and get it below a certain amount, you're not allowed to travel for fun anymore. Not allowed. And Yeah, you know what? That, that would be a... I like more of a motivator for people. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. Why don't you say that? Just say, hey, we're all allowed to travel on international flights again, 
when we get the CO2 down to 350 parts per million again. And everyone's like, and then let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And then it should be like, Hey, so you're like, you're, you're allowed a certain amount too. Like you can't just be like, Hey, now let's go crazy and travel all the time. Yeah. Fly all the time. And it should be like, I mean, right now with COVID numbers, it's kind of the same that they're saying don't travel, even though they probably should have restricted that more, but um, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, Hey, are we motivated to get things, you know, back to a certain level? So do well, the hard work. So it's, it's so interesting. There's uh, a friend of mine has his girlfriend um, is from super wealthy family in Hong Kong. And <clears throat> she lives here in Vancouver. She has a house, but she doesn't have a, she's never had a job. Um, and, Kind of what you say, trust fund, but not really. It's not really trust fund. She just kind of has to, every once in a while, ask for another couple hundred thousand from dad to oh. to tide her over, you know, because, I mean, she's got a few more designer bags to buy. But, <clears throat> but what's interesting about it is during this this whole pandemic, she's I mean, she's on, she's, she's pretty depressed anyway, but she's become even more depressed and stressed by it because, and I'm maybe kind of putting words in her mouth, but <clears throat> because she's forced to stay in one place because mm -hmm. in the past it was like, oh, this is boring here. Let's go to Thailand. Okay. Let's go to Bangkok, spend a weekend there with my friends. Okay. Oh, it's boring. Let's go to Sydney. Okay, right. We'll do this. So, I mean, there's a, there's a level of wealth where you can jet set around the world. But the interesting thing is the, the pandemic has been the great leveler where everybody has to stay home and you have to stay in place and they have to face mm -hmm. who they are and spend time with themselves. So, yes, I think that's been huge this year because for a while at least – until basically people could kind of get away with stuff if they have private jets or whatnot. But it did. It was like the great leveler, like you said. It was like it didn't matter how wealthy you were, you couldn't buy your way out of this one. Yeah, exactly. And then and then I think it makes some of them realize, like, it, you know, that kind of wealth is it, – it can't solve all problems for you. And, and some of them, you're actually creating problems by trying to run away from them, you know? Yeah. Because it also shows you what's really important because like, so you might have that money right now, but like, will you always have it? Is that always going to be what you go to, to cope with things? Mm -hmm. Is it going to still be enough to make you happy? Like, eventually you'll you'll everything will be boring because you can do everything yeah so i i do think it i think the also the thing that you said about people having to look at themselves and spend time with their partners and spend time with their children yeah and really realize like okay this is really what life is made of this is what i've grown and created and that is that is like the 
the soul of life that that's like the main thing where we forget that we are human beings. Sometimes we think that we're just, you know, little vessels that make money and spew money out or whatever, or do work, a whole bunch of work all the time. And we're not, we're like, we're beating hearts and yeah. So that's something like Garrix and I had talked about that too, just spending all this time together, even though it's stressful, some of it, well, a lot of it was stressful because of not knowing, but what we really liked was just having the time together and then having the government help give supports to people when you can't work or when you like lose your job. And then we are able to just really look at what's important. And I think for me that, that kind of gave me hope in humanity a little bit too about, okay, if, if we can get through something like this, and learn from it like maybe we can move forward in a better direction and we will start considering our environment because like this summer our backyard became our only oasis mm-hmm. right and you wouldn't and have invested too. time in it you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had time right because we wouldn't have had time we we had an unfinished yard and instead of paying someone to do it because that was way too much money we decided to do it ourselves and it was like the best thing that we did this summer together. It was like a labor of love and it's the place we hung out in. And then when you guys got to come, uh, we got to hang out there too. And that was like, we don't have a huge yard, but it's just like we had that place to be. Mm-hmm. And especially because we couldn't have people in the house Like you had to really be careful about that. So that's where we like socially distanced all summer, right? That became our like our new little place. So anyways, I'm going on and on. I, I, I think you're so right though about the time. And I think there's so many people that through this have realized what they can say no to. And I've talked to a lot of, a lot of people who work from home, especially lawyers, and they're like, wow, we get so much more work done now because we're not constantly bug, bug. Because a lawyer has to, when they're reading a brief or reading something, they have to get really deep into it and know all the intricacies. And they're like, they're like building a web in their mind. And then someone's like, hey, did you see the game on the weekend? And they're like, whoa, out of that little web. And then they're like, oh, and they're like, oh, yeah, guess what? My cat, oh, I had to bring my cat into the vet. And they're like, oh, okay, good. And they, they're nice and they make small right. like, I just was building this web in my mind and now I have to rebuild it and it's going to take me 20 minutes. Like your little two minute high cost me like 40 minutes, <laughs> you know? Right. And phone calls and interruptions and. Yeah, whatever it is. That's a really good way of saying it too, Scott, of building that web in your mind. Cause you need that time to like get into the flow of it. it it's exactly. And they've done studies on this. So these meetings, like even zoom meetings. Now I see it where people are like, okay, my part is done. I'm going to drop off now. And they're like, okay, bye. And then, and like, it used to be, okay, you have a meeting. We're calling everybody a team meeting, 20 people in the room. Good. We have 20 people. 
And then you're like, well, it doesn't cost you, it's, that doesn't cost you one hour. That costs you 20 hours. <laughs> right. Because it's 20 people there that you're all paying to be in there. And like, what did you say in that meeting? They're like, well, yeah, good job. Quarterly, everybody's happy. This is what we're doing. And you're like, so could you have done that in an email and then saved 20 hours? Right. There's so much wasted time. And uh, I think a lot of that comes into, again, this ego thing of like, oh, we have this business and we have to have this certain amount of meetings and it looks good, blah, blah, blah. And if they just cut all of that out and everyone worked from home, they would be, they would get so much more work done and they would, they could get over all of that like ego stuff too. And I think a lot of bad managers would phase out too. Yeah. Because they're like, what are you doing? Like they used to just all do meetings all day and now they don't. The the analogy that I really like, we were I was talking again on WhatsApp with friends on this, but is okay. Imagine you went to a construction site that they're building a house. So you guys built a house, right? And yeah. and you had people building it. And imagine you came there and you're like, okay, like guys, what did you do today? They're like, oh well, we were in meetings all day. You're like. Okay, so what did you do? Oh, well, we talked about what we're going to do in the next day. You're like, so why why were you here? Like, what? So you haven't done anything on our house? They're like, no, it was a lot of meetings that we had to do. You're like, that's crazy. We're paying you to build a house. So exactly. Well, they show up, they do a tailgate meeting. They say, okay, this is the safety, this is the plan for the day. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go do the work. Office people, go and they have a manager that's in meeting, 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 meeting. And they're like, what do you do? Oh, I was in meetings all day. Like, so you did nothing. You did nothing. <laughs> Especially because all those meetings can't actually, like not much can come out of it. Well, I see my, my point is, and I, I, I was kind of arguing with uh, uh, my buddy Goran who, cause he's a project manager and he was like, no, no, every meeting I have is very good. You know, I prep for it. I'm like, okay, they might be good meetings. And he was using the word productive. They're very productive. And I'm like, well, technically based on the definition of productive, they're not. Because you're not, unless the product is the meeting itself and you're selling it, you're taping it and selling it to people so they can watch, then maybe. But all you're doing is setting up so you can do something so you can produce whatever product it is. Mm -hmm. And then, so yeah, okay. You do have to organize, but the thing we have to all recognize is that the meeting is not productive time. It's unproductive time. That's maybe setting you up, but anybody who's in them all day, all week, all the time, that's not, that's not productive. Exactly. Because that, that's also, I mean, like we've talked, like my job, I have to have a client in front of me. I have to be putting lashes on them to make money. Yeah. And I do other work for my business that I'm not getting paid for. I have to do stuff to set up, but like, you don't want to be spending all your time. Like if I was like, well, yeah, I just decided to stop taking clients like in a normal year when it's not a pandemic. Yeah. And 
and say, well, I've just, you know, I've been having a lot of meetings about it. It's like, well, that's cool. But like, did you make a dime? (laughs) No. Exactly. So your product is actually the hours that they're there when they're sitting in the chair and you have to prep for it, but you actually set up everything. So you minimize the prep. Like you don't want to exactly right an hour to prep for an hour. You're probably spending five minutes to prep for every hour. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what the ratio is. Yeah. And, and with Garrick's, um, I think it's interesting because um, teaching is a very different thing because then he's spending all of this work, work time prepping to present. And in his case, that is the product. The product is, is communicating and telling them and taking that time, that, that hour of lecture or whatever, and actually educating the people on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he'll get quicker and quicker at the prep time. And that's yeah. not something he's like, oh, I just want to extend how much prep time I'm doing. Like no teacher says that. And, and I don't know, does he get paid for the prep time? He does. Because um, the nice thing, I think, with um, teaching adults and teaching in a um, technical school is your class time is far less than your prep time mm-hmm. or marking time or um, that might be hours for, like, students to contact you and stuff like that. Right. So it's um, it's not like teaching in a high school or teaching in elementary where, like, most of your time is just hands-on teaching. Right. So, yeah. So it's better that way, but it's also more – it's more research-based, right? <laughs> But it's, it's actually an interesting point, though, what you say is that he's setting up coach, uh, co- coaching, teaching adults, and and most of the time is not spent sitting in a lecture all the time. You're actually like, okay, here's an assignment. Like when, So his work is setting people up, is actually giving them, like telling them what to do, and then giving them kind of an assignment or something. And then when they do, the when they apply it, their work, they're productive when they learn. And you have all different ways that you can learn. Um, but it's interesting thinking about that with school too, is that maybe we have our kids sitting and doing, like, actually, it's a good point. Is So Declan uh, is doing assignments. He's spending more of his time actually doing assignments and learning through the assignments than sitting and, and hearing the um, <laughs> the Charlie Brown cartoon voice of the of the adult at the top of <laughs> you know he's like no I'm gonna do it and then oh if I have a problem I'll ask yeah it okay so this is interesting too because well we've had such changes this year and Declan having ADHD doesn't do well in school, like sitting and like listening for any amount of time, unless it's super interesting to him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not good at group work. He, uh, he gets tired. He's not good at eating at school. So school's tough. So being online and cutting out all that stuff and just 
boiling it down to like, here's the assignment. Yeah. You're at home and there's no set timeline for how long you can work on something that, that can be hard because we have to constantly be at him, but it does, it changes everything for him. He's like, he eats properly now because we're there to like feed him during the day. He's just doing so much better and it cuts out all of that ex- excess. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously like, well, I mean, I can't speak for his teacher, but it seems like their life is probably a lot easier too. <laughs> like, yeah, they're basing, they're doing more like prep and then marking and then help when they need it. And it's just like speaking about the climate too. It just, it's better also that they're like, they're not, I'm not saying like schools are bad, like a a public or like a space is bad, but so many kids don't need to be using up these buildings and these spaces that Mm -hmm. don't learn well that way. And we're kind of seeing that through him doing online. Well, both of our kids doing online. It's just like how much waste of all that space and resources and then people getting so stressed out trying to get there and <laughs> like spending well, their days there. Well, the interesting thing about it is that I think you learn better when you choose to learn. And a way to trick people mm-hmm. into that is to say, okay, you get to choose how you are going to learn. You can come into the school or you can work online at home, or I mean, in the past, they've had these outdoor schools or outdoor education kind of ideas. But if it's your choice, then you don't, you're like, hey, I chose this. Okay, and I want to keep it. So I want to show that I'm doing well, because I don't want to go like if, if you go to this, the classroom, and you don't like it, then you're like, here's another option. And then uh, if you do well in it, you get to stay in. They're like, oh, okay, I'm going to try my best to do well because I hated that other spot. Yes. Yeah. And there's different perks to it too because like for Declan, it was always like, okay, hey, how do – like every year, every meeting we had with the teachers, how do we get him motivated? How do we get him motivated? And it was like we tried everything. And at home, it's so much easier because we can be like – Okay, if you finish this assignment, you can go and play some video games. You can go do this, like whatever activity you're wanting to do, right? Mm -hmm. And he has friends that he plays online with too that um, are homeschooling too or online schooling and they're kind of the same way. So they can, if they like, they kind of motivate each other to be like, hey, get done by this time so we can meet up. Um. And that you can't do when he's at school and he was stuck at school for so many hours because then we had to have him there, you know, before and after school because we have to all work and we're all so busy. So (laughs) just like everybody's stressed out. (laughs) Like, what's the point? Yeah. That loops us all the way back to the beginning. Everyone's stressed out saying, what is the point? What is the point of saving Earth? And then, and then only a pandemic when we get to stay at home, we're like, oh, the point is that we want to all hang out with the people we love and care about. That's, that's the point. Yeah. Well, yeah. And because like we lost our grandma this fall Mm -hmm. and 
when she was sick and that's why you guys came here and I mean it was at least lower numbers it was way better than for COVID and you guys came here for that reason just to like be able to say goodbye mm-hmm. and that kind of showed us too like our grandma you know she's our only grandparent she's 91 and that's the epitome of what's important you came here to see we got to like see each other mm-hmm. have the first family photo we've ever had with everyone included like yeah all the people that were now in included in the family and got to see got to be also got to be with hug touch kiss our grandma before she passed away yeah yeah and she was I mean, that was another another thing. She was so calm. Like she was so calm and so ready and not scared and just saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, I had a good life. I'm ready to go. You know, like just, it's very peaceful when someone's ready and not, and I I mean, it's a weird juxtaposition, but um, before the pandemic and I was going through a whole bunch of kind of really tough time at work. There's a lot of workplace harassment. It was just a really toxic place to be. And I was getting like sick by it. And we went with the family, we yeah. went, and went camping, went on a canoe trip and we went off to this cove. We stayed there for three nights and I wanted to stay there for another night. And, and Mona was like, I'm not staying in the wilderness any longer. We got to go back. And I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> And I basically didn't paddle on the way back, which they all noticed because, you know, I'm, I'm big and they're all tiny. So they then they paddle, they barely move. <laughs> and I, it was like, I like, like it, I had to hold myself from paddling backwards to pull everybody back. Cause I was like, I felt it dragging away and I was like crying and I was like, I can't go back. I can't go back to it. It's so bad. My body just like, no. Don't go. This is not good for you. And you realize, and, but it's only when you, cause you, you get numb to the pain when you're in it. But then when you go and you have like this calm thing in nature and it's like having like a bath in nature and then you're like, Oh, I can't go back to there. It's so bad and toxic. Yeah. You feel like you're being dragged now. So I'm, I'm, it's again it's a weird juxtaposition but i was being dragged i was like no i don't want to go against it. i don't want to get against it but um how beautiful was that to see grandma saying okay all right i'm going to this next thing i mean she's thinking it's going to be better too and she's going away from the pain so she's doing the opposite of what i was doing like she's not she's not i'm not going to the pain she's thinking she's going away from the pain the pain of life and mm-hmm. she's just so like calm and happy about it yeah that's such a neat way to say it too it's like she was she was paddling to that cove yeah that you guys were staying in yeah, and, and almost even, I mean, yeah, if you use the canoe, it's almost like she was on, like, the river. And because like, you're saying paddling, because like, I was just thinking about it, it was almost like she was like, okay, I'm just, like, going to lay back and chill out and let the river take me where the river takes me. And however long it takes mm-hmm. me to get there, that's how long, but I'm I'm good. 
Like, let's, let's. Yeah. And she had people on the other side waiting for her too. So it was like, like for her, you know, I'm go. she was going home. That's what she kept on saying. Yeah. Yeah. It was that like this year has really shown me too that just like our human connections with each other is so important and our time with each other is so important. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, we've had this time and just connecting, being able to like talk to you more often, talk to your girls more often, have our kids talk more often. That's been just a really like nice blessing out of this year. I think everybody taught me how to text <laughs> this year. Well, <laughs> you still have a ways to go. But... <laughs> like, remember what I always say. I care about you. I don't care about my phone. And then I call you and I say, okay, can you look at that text? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, how's it going? What's up? You're like, yeah, what's up? That, that. Yeah, can you look at that thing? <laughs> that note that comes up, you're supposed to actually click on it. So, but it, it's it's good because you're somebody that um, we've always like called each other and talked on the phone. So that is really nice. It's nice to connect with you that way. And and you can see now, like I compartmentalize my day where I'm like. Okay, now it's text time. Okay, now it's conference call time. Okay, now it's writing, working time, you know, so, or cooking. Yeah, time. and I think yeah. I think that's good too, because you're not trying to like take on too much and stress yourself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, we'll wrap this up. Thanks so much for talking about this subject. I hope that people realize um you know, it's common to feel depressed about the future, about climate change and where things are going. But hopefully we've shed a bit of light on things that you can do and that you're not alone. And and be more like grandma where she's just grateful for going to the next stage, you know? Yeah. Whatever that next and stage may be. Living 91 years through all that she lived through and... Yeah excited to move on to the end mm-hmm. well i look forward to we're probably going to have lots more interesting conversations so thanks for being a part of this scott awesome thank you